a big welcome to all of you out there who are listening or looking at this. And I'm very excited today because uh, I'm going to interview one of my colleagues, I suppose. And a uh, big welcome to you, Kirsten Nilsson. Uh, Thank you, Anne. I'm so happy to see you and I'm excited to hear about what you're doing. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored. <clears throat> and I guess colleagues, yes, I, I also have a podcast yes. <laughs> that I do weekly, and it's called Horse Geeks. Uh, and we talk about, uh, the tagline is looking at horses and riders from the inside out. And that's very much what I focus on as a horse trainer. So professionally, I'm I'm a horse trainer. Uh, I help riders and horses find balance. It, it sounds simple enough. Um, and then the podcast was me and a friend of mine who also specializes in balance for people as an Alexander Technique instructor. We meet weekly and talk about the things we would talk about anyways as friends. <laughs> We always talk about horses. <laughs> always. There's, yeah. yeah, you could go on and on talking about horses. Yes. And so my friend Deb and I both specialize in, it, it's a little bit of unusual look at training horses and riders because what we're looking at is not how to do a shoulder in or get over the jump or get your horse to be obedient. What we're looking at is sort of is the mind in the right place, number one, for me, and not defensive. And two, is the body moving in its most efficient, optimal uh, coordination? So the training methodology, I call it um, optimal balance, training mm. for optimal balance. And what that means is when I talk about balancing the mind is we, we humans and horses share this dual nervous system. So we have the parasympathetic nervous system, which we call the rest and digest nervous system. And we have the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight and flight. And when either the horse or the rider are dominant, so the nervous systems kind of act like hot and cold water, right? So you can kind of, if we say fight and flight is hot and rest and digest is cold, we can run a little hot or very hot. We mm -hmm. could run a little cold or very cool, right? So there's like a gradient within the use of the nervous system or the dominance. And after years of working with psychology and natural horsemanship, I was like, well, it really just boils down to help the rider and the horse shift nervous system dominance. It, it's kind of that simple because we're not our best selves and our horses are not their real personality as long as they're in the fight flight nervous system dominance. And I go, there's all your behavioral problems in a nutshell. You know, it's like if we go into fight and flight because we're triggered by a fear issue, or even if we become sick or uncomfortable in our bodies, 
that can trigger the fight flight nervous system. So mm -hmm. sometimes it has to do with the physical movement that a horse becomes defensive. And there's lots of strategies for just helping horses essentially calm down, feel safe. And I only work them, I be, or I should say, I consider the work begins once the body is dominant in the rest and digest nervous system. So instead of saying all those big words, I just call it the learning frame of mind. I go, if we're not in the learning frame of mind, then that's the first step. We have to achieve either what they call a cohesion of the nervous systems, which means we can be calm and focused even during high speed and physically taxing work, right? Mm -hmm. Or they call that being in the zone in athletics. And so either balancing the nervous system or reducing stress and anxiety and tension and all kinds of the related behavioral issues by just really recognizing what are the signs of the horse being dominant in one nervous system or the other. There's lots of body language and energy and behavioral signs if we pay attention. And then being in the rest and digest nervous system dominance, there's also a totally different physiology that goes with that nervous system. So like in your podcast, Horses and Health, even with people, we know that chronic stress or being in that low-grade dominance of the raw, of the fight-flight nervous system is the root cause of lots of health issues that you can see as sort of indirect. And what I realized, because I was always attracted to hot-blooded horses, and you think, oh, you just have to ride what you've got. But I've actually seen that with skill training, one of the things that you have to do with a hot-blooded horse is help them learn to shift into the rest and digest nervous system. But the health of the body is dependent on that for long-term work mm -hmm. because the nervous system affects every single function of the body. So it's going to affect the posture it's going to affect the immune system, the digestion, the circulatory system, the, you know, the, the whole, all systems of the body. It's going to change heart rate. It's going to affect whether or not our horse has ulcers. It, it, it's a big deal. And when you look around the horse industry, there's a lot of horses that are performing with anxiety and tension. Mm -hmm. And that can lead to a lot of health issues where we could recognize it and go, I could also train or help my horse work in the rest and digest nervous system. And and so what I found was across the board with all, I've done lots of different styles of riding and worked with a lot of different breeds and ages and I worked with rescue organizations for like eight years. And the one thing, well, the two things that we all have in common are the instincts 
all horses share the same prey animal instincts. So fear triggers are sort of universal for a lot of horses. And humans, we all share the predatory instincts. And then we all have our shared anatomy. So horses, no matter the breed or the age or the confirmation, have the inherently the same anatomy. Even gated horses. I go, we don't need a special vet for a gated horse. No. You know, <laughs> That's it's the same anatomy. And so the way we coordinate that anatomy in motion can either be dysfunctional, but we don't fall over, so we think we're good, or it can be optimized. It can be the least amount of stress and the most efficient way to coordinate the mechanical body in motion. So I go, okay, first I need the learning frame of mind. Then I need to sort of, through skill development, develop the best movement possible for the body. And that's sort of what dressage was based on. But over time, from when dressage sort of evolved to now, we have a boatload more scientific research that tells us more and more detail about how the body actually, of the horse, actually needs to function, especially around the four different functions of the spine, which is really the central part of the body. So that's kind of what I look at as a trainer is, are we in the right nervous system in order to learn and function safely? And then there are four different spinal functions that we need to coordinate in motion and optimize. So it sounds complicated. It's not that hard to do. It's pretty simple work, but the understanding of it changes everything. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whether I'm working with a horse, it's rehabbing from navicular or ring bone or EPM, or a horse that's been really labeled as a dangerous horse, I go, the turnaround rate is better than the industry norm. And that's what I was looking for. So I had to keep boiling it down and boiling it down to what we have in common instead of what is different. Because everybody's looking at you have this saddle or that saddle. You're a jump mm -hmm. rider or a dressage rider or a Western rider or an endurance rider. And I kept thinking, because I would dabble in all these different things, I kept thinking, how does the horse know that it's supposed to follow the inside leg or the outside leg? Mm -hmm. Or why do the one trainer tells me you have to have rain contact or it won't work? And another trainer says you never need rain contact. Mm, that's right. It, it was so confusing. And yeah. I thought, how would the horse know the difference? Mm -hmm. And they don't. Oh. Like, so a lot of people look at training like a condition response, right? Like you, it's it's just a matter of operant conditioning or condition response or whether it's positive or negative reinforcement, it's all about condition response. And I go, no, it's, it's so unique 
and it's way more dynamic because we have these mechanical structures that are influencing each other when we ride. And that's going to alter the forces of motion. And so I go, if you just kind of look at mechanics and physics, you go, this goes way beyond obedience and condition response and psychology. It's very dynamic between two individuals. And so how do we optimize the best use of the mind and the best use of the body? And that's what I now specialize in. It's a very narrow niche. <laughs> yes, yeah. Any questions? But, uh, yes, how do you work? Do you have, uh, do you get uh, difficult horses to you or you have your own horses? Or how does this work? I have my own horses, which of mm -hmm. course, uh, one of them, uh, she's now 30 years old and I, she was the first horse I ever got like as a foal. And mm -hmm. so this horse has been with me for 30 years. And um, she was like my most merciless mentor. Yeah. She, she was always kind and safe to ride and all of that, but very difficult to lift the back and do some performance work that I wanted to do. And she would always let me know I don't have it right. She mm -hmm. always tell me. <laughs> yeah. And, and so she really guided me into exploring different ways of achieving the, the same mechanical balance and self-carriage that we all kind of hold as the ideal. She started to show me, I've got to find some alternative ways to get to the same place. And I had to really delve into the research to understand the body and what these different forces that I was encountering during a ride, how she was unseating me, where we were struggling, where she was pulling or pushing, was also directly tied to how she was coordinating her body. And so a horse that's sort of, what I would say, getting the job done, but on an internal level, not in good balance or dysfunctional use of the body, they're hard to ride. Hmm. Uh, that's what we know. They're yeah. bouncy trots. They're bad canters. They're hard to ride. Hmm. And we either call it a personality problem or a confirmation problem. And I go, no, it's a balance problem. They have bad coordination. So it's hmm. a rough ride. It's not easy. Right. Or I'm sure you've been told this is a man's horse which means okay. he's very heavy. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I go, that's ridiculous. Every horse mm. has the capacity to carry themselves. Mm. So that's even true. a big, heavy-bodied draft is not heavy to a small rider well. when they carry themselves, mm -hmm. right? So that goal of self-carriage and what we call collection right, which is just the engagement of the horse and the upward flexion of the spine, um, the engagement of the pelvis and the hindquarters, that goal is kind of the same for all horses and riders. But there's about 2,000 different theories on how to get there. And it's very confusing. Yeah. 
And so I wanted to know what specifically happens when we do that. What are we talking about mm. on a mechanical level? How do I know when my horse is getting there or not getting there? And my real driving motivation was if we don't get it right for the horse, even with our love of the horse and the best of intentions, we're making life hard or uncomfortable or painful for our horses. Yes. So it was very important to me, and it's been 25 years as a professional trainer trying to really understand this. It's not a quick understanding. No. And I had to really go outside of a lot of traditional training to find the information I was looking for. Mm -hmm. But it comes back to good riding, good sort of almost traditional riding where I find I have to take the time to help people really slow down and understand that some of these things that we're told are not changeable, mm -hmm. are very changeable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good to hear. <laughs> mm -hmm. And once people, yeah. once people start to experience it, <clears throat> you feel it, you can't miss it. Good mm -hmm. movement is easy to ride. Mm -hmm. Good movement feels like you're floating with your horse. Yes. And it's sort of, we can see it in good riders, but the experience of it has to be developed uniquely through each person. Like there's some things we have in common um, that are very unchangeable. And that's kind of what I work with. So trying to get away from fads and fashions and what's winning this decade versus what was winning last decade, <laughs> you know, and really go, it's a body. We all have to deal with gravity and we all have to deal with, you know, Newton's laws of motion, those haven't changed. And so that's when we're looking for optimizing the coordination of the horse or the rider, what we find is more ease. We, you know, not only is it healthier for the body of the rider or the horse and the mind, but it's the reason I ride. That feeling is like nothing mm -hmm. else. Mm. that's right that's right yeah and I think most of us have had moments like glimpses of those mm. really good steps where the balance comes together yeah or we've been on a horse where that horse could find it sort of through talent easier than other horses mm. but it's that sort of magical moment and it's often fleeting and it comes accidentally to yeah. all riders <laughs> yeah you know what I mean? Yes, totally. Everybody, yeah. yeah, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Yes. And um, so my mission is to get there on purpose. Mm -hmm. yeah. And to to make it the way that the, the horse moves, mm -hmm. not the sort of fleeting, you know, glimpse of brilliance in between 8,000 problems. It, it's like, no, let's work our way through the problems so that this feeling is the movement. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see classically. That's yeah. the, even if you, even if we go back to the Baroque era of riding, that mm -hmm. was sort of the idea. 
Yeah. Did you find out how the best way is, or you are still experiencing uh, new things or? No, I think the past five years or so, uh, I've worked with some, you know, different mentors along the way that were very important and also sorting it out. Like one of the premises I adopted early on is that if the horse is anxious or tense or really resisting me, then I'm not appropriate in what I'm asking the horse to do. So the behavior of the horse or the horse becoming so defensive that they're shifting into the fight flight nervous system became a little bit my beacon that if that's escalating, I need to rethink what I'm asking the horse to do or the way I'm asking, or maybe I need a few more basic building blocks in place because my experience is that in understanding the spinal functions and the coordination, that resistance goes away. The horses fall in love with working with you because it benefits them in a very direct way. They not only feel safer, but they gain more comfort session by session by session. And so if I'm not getting that back from a horse, I have to kind of go back to the drawing board and rethink what I'm asking the horse to do or how I'm asking. Maybe I experiment with some groundwork or I change how I'm riding a little bit. And so by adopting that as a premise, the horses themselves started to help me find the path of least resistance for each horse during development. And the way you know that you're moving into better mechanical balance, because biomechanics is now a little bit of a buzzword in the horse business. Mm -hmm. But what I find is people are trying to kind of use their aids to now move the bones around into the right place. <laughs> and I go, it, it's it's not move the bones around, you know, no. or manipulate the neck or tap the legs. It, it's what we feel as riders. The forces of motion tell us everything about the coordination of the horse. And so I use the analogy a lot of a river because the way the horse creates forward forces is it starts with the pushing phase of the hind legs. So that thrust of the pushing of the hind legs begins the forward force. So the way the forces move through the horse's body is from the hindquarter, through the back, through the front legs, out through the neck. It always goes that direction, right? And so you can feel the movement of the horse like a river. And if I get on a horse, and it's a rough mountain river with lots of rapids and bumps and crazy currents. That's the feeling of dysfunctional mechanical use of the body. And what's crazy is those horses are performing at high levels. They've been doing this for years, mm -hmm. right? And then if I get on like the feeling I tell people what we're working towards, the feeling of really good mechanics 
is like one of those hotel rivers, you know, like instead of a swimming pool, they now make these man-made rivers that you can kind of float down. And it has a steady rate of flow. It doesn't have a lot of waves or bumps. Mm. It doesn't go fast, slow, fast, slow. And it kind of curves gently in the direction of travel. That's exactly what a balanced horse feels like. That's what all horses should feel like to ride if they're in good mechanical coordination. And so somewhere between the raging rapids of a mountain river, you know, after a flood, and that kind of lazy river hotel kind of feeling, there's a huge variety in there that sort of tells me how close or how far the horse is towards the best use of their body, the best Mm -hmm. coordination. And then instead of thinking, because if you think about the old idea of drive the horse forward into the bit. Yeah. Like you had mentioned, even the double Mm. bridle is a lot of leverage. Yes. And the idea was sort of to create more energy and then contain the energy in order to increase vertical force, lift the back. Mm. But I go, well, what usually happens is you, the the leverage of the bit or even the use of the reins is actually creating a dam in the river. And what usually happens is not an elevation of the river, it just splashes out the side. Mm. And so a lot of horses that have been trained, including one of mine that was trained in dressage with that idea, he had no control over the flow of the river And it's like, we're trying to pull the energy of the horse backwards with the bit. And so what happens is we actually create two specific problems in the spine. We get excessive lateral bending of the spine Mm. or an invisible lateral bend that we can't see, but we can feel. And we call them left-handed horses, right-handed horses. We even Mm. have a term for it. But that's a horse with a chronic lateral bending of the spine. They're stuck. So they can't really perform. Right? And then there's another function of the spine that's probably the least understood, but it's a big problem. And that's called rotation. And so in the human spine, rotation is a a twisting motion left to right, Mm -hmm. as opposed to a side bending motion. Yes. Right. So in a horse, with the horse's body is more horizontal to the ground, that twisting motion of the spine can be excessive. It can be stuck to one side. It can go back and forth and be unstable. And what happens is the barrel of the horse is rolling. So we don't really perceive it as a twist from our perspective, we, we think they're just rolling or pushing the barrel. Mm. So a lot of times we talk about getting the horse off of our inside leg and the ribs and the shoulders. But I go, if you follow the ribs up, the director of the ribs and the shoulders is the thoracic spine. So if the thoracic spine has too much twisting action, 
or an asymmetrical twist as a habit, then you have all kinds of problems, right? Because that's going to change the concussive forces through the limbs, and it's going to alter how they can use their head and neck or their back. And it's maybe going to push the back down and make lifting the back more difficult, right? So rotation, the the best research on the function of rotation in horses' spines was 1999. Uh, Jean-Marie Denois, French researcher, did a whole pa paper, research paper, on just that. Very interesting. And that's why I call it horse geeks, because we geek out on the detail of research <laughs> yeah. and, and that kind of thing. But but it is so important to know these things. It affects everything we do with our horse. Yes. Yeah. And so the spinal functions, like we even have a name for it scientifically, whether it's the horse or the human, the skull and the spine and the rib cage are called the axial skeleton. It's meant to be the axis of the body, that the rest of the body moves around. Okay. Right? And then our limbs, our arms and legs, or even the horse's arms and legs, is called the appendicular skeleton, which is the appendages to the axis. Mm -hmm. So even in the meta the scientific terminology of the skeleton, we have an appendicular skeleton and an axial skeleton. That's that's the the scientific description. And in that information, you see what needs to be stable in the body is the axis, mm -hmm. right? So if the axis of the planet wobbles or bends, what happens to the entire planet? It has to morph around that, Yeah. right? So even though on a mechanical level, our spines are never geometrically straight, but the force that we feel should feel geometrically straight. Right? So if you look at a good rider, <clears throat> their skull and spine right down to their seat bones mm -hmm. is always vertical to gravity. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. And to maintain that on a moving horse is I I go the best analogy is like getting our sea legs. You know, if you're on the ocean in a boat and you look at a good sailor, they can look like they're standing still. Yeah, yeah. But they're never internally feeling like they're standing still. Right? Yeah. So if we think of the horse like a river, the, f the most fun I have is sort of navigating the river to find my balance over gravity in the middle of the river. Mm -hmm. And that by itself, now the weight and mass that I am as a rider already starts to change the current of the river. Mm -hmm. You know, so just by getting my own sea legs, so to speak, which is your seat bones in the saddle, yeah. you begin to help the horse find stability through their axial skeleton. So ours is vertical and the horse's is just horizontal. Yeah. 
So the midline of the horse should feel like a broomstick. It should feel straight and stable. It shouldn't wiggle. It, it even, and I, I don't want to touch on this too long. It's still controversial. <laughs> but even on a circle or a turn, the updated information we have scientifically says we really shouldn't feel the inside of the horse bend on the shape of the circle. Mm -hmm. But that's still the most prevalent instruction out there. Yeah. That the horse should sort of curve, the midline of the horse should bend to the shape of the turn or the circle. Mm -hmm. Well, I go, okay, that's what we believed scientifically in 1930. <laughs> <laughs> You know, almost a hundred years later, we have new information. Yeah. And that's not the best function of the spine. So like just reducing the feeling of wiggle or curve through the horse's midline improves the balance immediately, improves the coordination of the horse immediately. Or to, and it's more specific, I can't get into it here, but how we use our body to stabilize the rotation function. Mm -hmm. We do that very effectively as riders. Mm -hmm. And if we don't know about it, it's the rotation aspect is why the saddle keeps slipping to one side. It's why you look at a rider from behind and they think they're straight and one rib cage is bent or one leg is shorter mm -hmm. or they have a, you know, we we don't feel it because the human brain can make anything normal. This very yeah. powerful human brain, we can be completely crooked and think we're straight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but if you if you take some video of yourself riding, you know, from mm -hmm. straight to mm -hmm. the camera and straight away, or a side view, you start to see what you're doing that is not straight. Mm -hmm. Right, Because when a horse is crooked, it easily makes the rider crooked, but we're not always aware of it. And so that's why I said a lot of my work involves slowing things down to help people adjust from what is normal, which our nervous system has now adopted as a habit, <laughs> into what is actually authentically correct with what we, <clears throat> how we could function, how we could balance. And it's kind of a tricky process because the brain is very powerful to make anything feel normal. Mm -hmm. And horses are actually a little quicker <clears throat> because they're just not so complicated. So when you, when you work to sort of help the horse find more stability through the midline, less twisting, less bending, <clears throat> the horses really like it and they respond to that pretty quickly because they recognize faster than the human that it's easier. Okay. And sometimes you have some tight muscles to work through or some weak muscles or mm -hmm. things like that. But, and the really exciting part to me was in working with horses that had lameness issues, the coordination of the body is the same 
whether you're going slow or fast. Mm -hmm. So I never had, I could work with a horse for a year or more at the walk and completely change the trot and the canter without ever working on the trot or the canter. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't matter how fast or slow I go, I'm still right-handed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so if right-handed is making me lame and I have to learn to use my left side just as well, I don't have to do that at high speed. I no. can do that slowly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I never had to put the horses under stress to change the balance. Yeah. How how can do you ride them yourself or you has, have students? Can you see it or you feel it only when you sit on the horse? What's interesting is all humans can feel it much faster than the human eye can see it. Mm -hmm. So after 25 years, I can see it, but yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of hours of looking. Yes. And I think as riders, we're trying to see balance, mm -hmm. but balance is something that we can feel a whole lot faster than we can see. That's mm -hmm. why I kind of use the river analogy. Because whatever whatever bumps and waves and changes of current we're feeling, we can just say it's not ideal function. Even if the horse is still getting over the jump or doing the test, mm -hmm. there's small repetitive wear and tear from the dysfunction that can lead to either lameness issues and or behavioral problems, right? So, and it happens over time. So it's usually for humans, we don't recognize our little issues until we are over 50. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then we start to have the aches and pains and we think, yes. oh, I'm just getting old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but some of the Alexander instructor, Alexander technique instructors I worked with were in their 70s and 80s and they move like a teenager. I go, so I saw this isn't, this isn't our lot in life. We, we could change it. And then the same thing with the horses. It's not like when we say it's confirmation or personality, or it's an old horse, it's almost like an um, end of story. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds unchangeable. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of years working with rescue horses because I thought, oh, here's a man-made problem mm -hmm. that's kind of the worst case scenario. And so I tested for years a lot of my theories there. And when it would work for them, it would also work just as well for the healthy horses. And so it was sort of a laboratory of sorts to test out theories and strategies and ideas and what was shocking to people was the turnaround rate of the older horses, mm -hmm. the rescued, you know, the chronically lame horses. Yes. And it's like watching, even in my own learning curve, my horse, who's now 30, she looked better at 20 than she did at 12. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's not a normal thing for us to even expect. No. Yeah. 
or I have a horse here now that uh, was her rider was a little bit afraid of her and she thought she was 20 turns out she's 22 and just in the six months that she's been here she looks younger and younger and younger not older and older because she's remuscling right mm -hmm. so the use of the spine dictates <clears throat> the coordination of the entire skeleton in motion right because it's the axis of the body so it dictates the placement and the use of the limbs and then the way the skeleton functions in motion also dictates which muscles are overused, underused, used correctly. So like muscle tightness, muscle atrophy, poor muscling, all of that tells you that there is not an optimization of the coordination, mm -hmm. right? So when you change the coordination, you're also changing the muscle development. And that's what makes the horses look younger in the work mm -hmm. is the hindquarters are rounding out. The back muscles are coming back. Mm -hmm. The neck is releasing tension and looking longer rather than shorter. And so it gives the appearance of youth, right? And I found the worse the balance was, like my favorite clients and most of my clients, they come as a last resort. Yeah. And now they're willing to change how they ride and how they train. Mm -hmm. Because that's really what's required is to rethink how we ride and how we train. And so once somebody who loves their horse has a big problem, then they're open to that. Yeah. But most of us, if the problems are sort of mild or even moderate, we still go to the vet, the saddle fitter, the body worker, the farrier. Mm. Here, you fix my problem because I don't want to change. Yes, that's yeah. right. <laughs> and really to change the movement, we almost have to... And this is true even besides what, what I specialize in. We learn as riders that the way we're trained at the lower level, we completely throw out the window to get to the upper level. Mm. It's a very different way of riding when you're at the upper levels of riding compared to how we're all trained at the lower level. Yes. And th that's what I find too. So I'm, I'm, I have to teach riders to ride like an elite rider because mm -hmm. that's really what the horse needs mm -hmm. right and a lot of elite riders maybe they can't describe it or they can't teach it but they can do it yes and that's what really makes them a beautiful elite rider or a great trainer mm -hmm. is because maybe it's hard to find words for it but they can do it yes and again we chalk that up to talent thinking I, I could never get there, right? Yeah. But everybody could get there. Mm -hmm. But Do we have to rethink how we ride and how we train. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. How do you, if you get a, a, a student and a horse that is uh, the, the last 
thing they come to you uh, do you train them from from the ground first or you train them with the rider on it just depends um you know if riding has become dangerous or even if the rider is fearful of riding mm. even I don't consider the horse dangerous if the rider does then I put I get the horse and rider working together on the ground yeah if they're not afraid because as soon as there's fear you can't work in the subtle realms you can't consciously control your own balance if you're in fear that's not how yeah. the nervous system works mm -hmm. and it's, it's not the same about with the horse and the rider yeah absolutely the mm -hmm. same no matter which one we're talking about yes so we're all told to don't let the horse know you're afraid mm. too late he already knows yes <laughs> <laughs> you can't hide it right i always and, say that when when yeah. you come to the stable the horses they know yeah they know mm. yes because the language of the horse is nonverbal so mm. they know we can't yeah. we can't hide it and we're told in the horses in the horse riding push through it make you know show them who's boss mm. take it mm. you know go oh. towards what you're afraid of mm. and so i'll tell people i go okay so if you're afraid of snakes and i push you towards the snake mm. How are you going to feel about me? Mm. You're not going to want to see me very often. No. Right? right. And I said, and if you're afraid of snakes, either me pushing you towards the snake or sticking a snake in your face isn't going to make you less fearful. No. It's going to make you more fearful. Mm. Right? And as soon as we are dominant by a little or a lot in the fight-flight nervous system, we no longer have conscious control of our body or our actions. No. So it becomes a game of action, reaction, instinct, instinct. And it's mm -hmm. just a ping pong game of chaos and it's not safe. So whether it's in the saddle or on the ground, I'm looking for what's the fastest way to get through any any anything related to this dominance of the fight flight nervous system and for some really dangerous horses the only thing i could come up with to start with was you stand there at the end of the lead rope and i stand here and let's agree not to hurt each other and let's just stand here until that energy dissipates and everybody calms down and it sounds so simple, and yet yeah. it was transformative for really aggressive horses. Mm -hmm. it, it was it was like nobody just took the time to say, we can be connected, but we can be at a we can connect at a distance. We don't have to be sort of aggravating and manipulating each other all the time, mm -hmm. right? And so that's one example of something that's just so simple and very powerful to interrupt, just to stop the cycle of that action reaction game. You know, and even if we were riding, I, if I have a fearful rider, I say, maybe today we just sit on the horse and get off. Yes. 
you know, and we all have to be honest about our own, I call it the butterfly meter. Yes. The more, you know, the <laughs> yes. more butterflies, mm -hmm. the more you need to not push forward. Mm -hmm. Right. The fewer the butterflies, the more you can do. Yes. The great, greater is the butterflies increase in number or activity. Yeah. <laughs> you need to pause or make it simpler mm. or even retreat for a minute. Yes. You know, and that yeah. that's also based on research in human psychology. Mm. You know, but as riders, it's like, you know, cowboy up, get mm. her done, you know, push yeah. through it. And it just works against the authentic development of mm. the rider and the horse to have to work while we're afraid. Mm. And that's not to say I love a fast horse. Like I like excitement. Yes. You know, I love roller coasters. That's my thing. But I go, it doesn't create fear. So it's fine mm. because excitement and fear are very different, but they can be cousins yes yes you okay. know mm. so only we know or we can read through our horse's behavior our horse's energy our horse's expression mm. um, whether our horse is in fear or not right and we could do the same for the horse we could slow it down we could make the job easier we could make it less yeah. complicated we could take more steps so that we're not increasing anxiety or tension in order to get through the training. Mm. But it's so common, we're all sort of told that's just the way it is. Yes. And and I found it doesn't need to be that way at all. Oh, that's right. If you do the, <clears throat> the groundwork, uh, it will it will become much much easier later but uh, it's it's difficult to to say that to people because they always ah oh, but i have come so far in in my riding so i must go on from there yeah and i found i absolutely work with that mm -hmm. because in different training programs i followed one of the most frustrating things was you have to follow the program mm. and I go when we're working on the level of mechanics and physics and overcoming instinct I go no we can work wherever we're at because it's going to be meaningful yeah and then if there's a problem I'll start to go backwards to where mm. we can be successful but if the rider feels safe to ride I go maybe the learning frame of mind part of it is not even an issue like a lot of lame horses, I go, they're calm, they're safe, they're in the rest and digest learning nervous system, they're in the learning frame of mind, but we have a much bigger problem with the movement. Mm. And so I go, let's go right into the movement. Let's start seeing how we could most easily start to make changes to the physical part of it. Mm. And so the truth is, we can't really separate the body and the mind. So I'm just going which looks like safety is the most important. So let's check that box. Yes. And once everybody feels safe, let's look at, you know, what kind of issues are showing up in the movement. Mm. 
Is it a bending issue? Is it a, a speed issue? Not enough forward, too much forward, right? The horse turns right, but won't turn left. The horse gets the left lead, but not the right lead. The horse keeps going lame on the left front or, you know, has navicular changes or ring bone or side bone. Mm -hmm. All of those are concussive injuries. So it's a re re repetition of concussion that creates navicular changes, ring bone, side bone, shin splints, some tendon and ligament issues. And so there's a <clears throat> quite a lot of lameness issues we can turn around by changing the movement. Mm -hmm. And even if the pathology on the x-ray doesn't change, the soundness is restored mm -hmm. to the movement. Yeah. So I got you know, kind of really frustrated trying to follow other people's programs. And so I just don't do that. <laughs> and, and when I meet a horse and rider, and I do remote lessons as well through video. And when I look at the video, it's like there's an obvious need of either, either help the rider change right away, or let's address the horse right away. Hmm. One of those two both will be important, but they can be woven together over time. Mm -hmm. So I go, if the rider is mostly vertical, mostly stable, and not having a, an obvious impact, negative impact on the horse's ability to move, then I'll go to, where do we start with the horse? Mm -hmm. And if the rider is out of balance or has habits that I know are creating problems that the horse couldn't possibly find better spinal coordination because of how the rider's riding, then I'll start with the rider mm -hmm. and work on the rider balance. But it's kind of like, you know, the horse and rider are one unit ultimately. Yeah. yeah. So the focus can shift between the rider and the horse. And once we understand the principles of like the axial skeleton will never change, even if there's anomalies or unique genetic differences or conformation changes, we all have a skull. Mm -hmm. We all have roughly the same number of vertebra, roughly the same number of ribs, and they attach to the same part of the spine. Mm -hmm. And we all kind of have a functional pelvis, you know, and... And so even with para riders or um, like riders I've worked with that have scoliosis or they have rods in their back, I go, the body still finds a way to manage the forces to organize the stability of the body in by optimizing the functions of the spine, but that doesn't mean they have to be perfect functions. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of wiggle room for imperfection yeah you know because like a sailor getting his sea legs you can have a one-legged sailor that can balance on a boat yes <laughs> you know I, yeah because because it's more about organizing the the skull and the spine vertical to gravity mm -hmm. and if you think on the like a rough ocean you wouldn't try to control the current you, you know, but you can still find your balance and your stability 
And if you're a really good sailor, you can do it with big waves. Yes. And if you're, if you've never been on a boat before, just like new people who are new to a horse, you start grabbing something with your hands mm -hmm. <laughs> and you start stiffening every muscle and it doesn't yeah. help, mm. you know? So it's, it's kind of learning that coordination over a moving force. Mm. So a horse is just a force of nature. It's a force of motion. And the way we think is we have to control body parts. And I go, we don't control body parts. We really channel. We channel the movement. You know, we, we make, just like we could make um, a culvert for the river, right? Mm -hmm. We could channel the river, but we don't really want to go against the river. Like even to slow a horse down, it's more of how we filter the forward push rather mm -hmm. than going against the forward push, mm -hmm. right? So I, I will tell people it's like a use of your body where you're casting a net across the river. So you're going to slow the river down. You're going to slow the rate of flow, but you never go against the direction of the current. Wow. Yeah. And so that's not hard for people to grasp. That's mm -hmm. why I say to understand it, it sounds so complicated because it is complicated. Yeah. But to actually do it is not that difficult. It's not that hard, but it is precise. Mm. It's really precise. Yeah. Wow. A lot of information. And uh, yeah. time is running. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very interesting. And, and as you said, the... You get to know your body and the horse's body. It's um, it's very important. Yes. So because really yeah. we're two. The horse generates forces of motion, and so do we. And it's much more like a dance of two dancers, kind of finding that harmony together in motion. Mm -hmm. And that if if either one of the partners doesn't have self-carriage it starts to look awkward mm -hmm. That's you right. know but developing everybody talks about self-carriage but I don't see it manifested very often no. I don't see it actually out there in the horse world very often well thank you so much for being mm -hmm. here today um, thank you for can... having me where can people find you if they want to get any help? Um, my website's probably the best place. That's where everything is located. And it's kirstennelson.com, which I'll spell out. But it's also wexfordfarm.com because Kirsten Nelson is always misspelled. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So Kirsten Nelson is K-I-R-S-T-E-N and Nelson is N-E-L-S-E-N instead of O-N just to make it that much worse. And so it's also under Wexford, W-E-X-F-O-R-D-F-A-R-M.com. I do have a YouTube channel under my name 
and um, the podcast Horse Geeks is on lots of different podcast platforms. But the website has everything. And I offer a lot of information for free under the category of Horse Geeks. So there's little mini lessons and how-tos as well as the podcast. And then I'm just starting to do more remote work and and have learning materials and courses up online. Mm. Yeah. That's marvelous. Thank you. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. I'm so happy you were here today. And I also learned a lot. Well, thank you very much for having me. And like I said, I, I kind of yacked along quite a bit, but um, I get really excited about the information and the turnaround that I see in horses and riders that we're told is not possible. And I've seen thousands of transformations. So it's very possible. I would just like to plant that seed. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. And thank you to all of you out there who had listened or looked at this. And uh, please subscribe so we can carry on with these podcasts. So thanks a lot for today and see you later. Thanks, bye everybody. Bye.